Welcome to Real Eyes Realize. This is a podcast where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and in our world at large. That's why we call it Real Eyes. So we welcome each guest on the show with the intent to create positive change in our world. And as a listener, you can do so by listening and taking action in your own world. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. And here we go. Welcome to the first episode of Realize Realize with our guests present. So today we have two special, special guests, Jyothi and Manoj Chalam. We're going to share a little bit about them um, a little bit later, but first we'd like to thank them for helping us to set the intention of love and service for this show. And we invite Jyothi now to open us up with a special invocation. So sit back and close your eyes if you can, and um, and enjoy. Sarve bhavantu sukhinaha Sarve santu Niramaya Sarve Bhadrani Pashyanto Ma Kaschit Dukha Bhag Bhave Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya Thank you. So for all of our listeners, I am going to just do a short introduction of the two of our amazing guests here today, Manoj and Jyoti Chalam. And then I'll hand it over to you to begin uh, with a little bit of your story. So Manoj is known for many as the Murtiwala, somebody who schleps and sells Murtis, who are statues. Schlepping, schlepping is a Sanskrit word, right? Schlepping is a Sanskrit word. That's right. Statues of Hindu and Buddhist deities. And he teaches their symbolism, archetypes, philosophy, mythology. And he's known as a storyteller who combines science and popular culture, psychotherapy, and whatever it is he can get his hands on. He's a scientist by training, a PhD in chemical engineering from Cornell, and he also tries to keep his teachings real with a healthy dose of humor. Jyoti Chalam is a scholar of Advaita Vedanta, non-dual philosophy, and an accomplished South Indian classical music singer, as we just witnessed. Jyoti is a master teacher when it comes to sadhana and Vedanta philosophy. Jyoti is my philosophy teacher, and I'm so grateful for that relationship. <laughs> Jyoti's guru is Swami TV from Asha Vidya Gurukalam in Pennsylvania, 
and Jyoti spends many months every year at this ashram studying the Vedantic scriptures in the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, and Brahma Sutras. We are so honored to have the two of you here today in our Real Eyes Realized podcast and just really wanted to say thank you. So before we get going, Jess is going to kick us off to questions, but I'd just like to ask, on a scale of one to 10, one being awful, 10 being awesome, how are you feeling in this moment and what are the contributors to that feeling? I'll answer the question first. I'm feeling quite better, quite well right now because uh, the weekend wasn't that good for me. Um, you know, I was running a high fever and along with that, whatever comes, you know, that was going on. But that's why we needed to talk to the doctor just before the call. Yeah, uh, that's when they called back. We left the left message early in the morning, and so um, I guess everybody's busy, and uh, so many people that they're taking care of. So yeah, called us, so I'm feeling really good right now because the temperature has become normal again since this morning, and uh, along with that, a lot of uh, the body ache and everything is also reduced. So I feel great. <laughs> And if Jyoti is happy, I'm super happy. <laughs> I may not express it, but, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we may as well di disclose it. Uh, Jyoti was diagnosed with stage four cancer literally around April 1st with a 50% chance of living in one year. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, She's amazingly strong. Here's where the philosophy and practices, she's able to disconnect her mind from the body pain. Uh, but it's harder on me because, uh, well, it's not harder, but uh, it's harder for me to handle it mm. because I feel uh, almost like powerless. Yeah, yeah. that's the reason, yeah. I yeah. feel, uh, so one night we were up all night with the pain, uh, way back, in April. So things have stabilized. I, if she feels better, I feel amazing. Um, mm. For a while, though, we did use the hospital as a second home. Yeah. <laughs> well, you two are such a unit. And you've had your own health issues this year, too, Manoj, with your heart. Yeah, I had uh, open heart surgery in uh, June. Yeah. But mine was a planned event. Um, I... Uh, I've been having this issue. I was kind of managing, perhaps even faking it <laughs> with all my travels. I would literally travel like uh, I'd meet like 20, 30,000 people a year. Yeah. And uh, I became good at sort of, you know, living with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but finally this year, you know, we, we never went to the doctors for 15 years, Jyoti and I. And this year, while dancing in between karmic raindrops, were making up for all the years we didn't go. So, hmm. but you know, as I said earlier before we started, uh, Buddha calls this world uh, samsara is despair, but the philosophy is really cheerful despair. So the world kind of, you know, to a large extent sucks, especially now the pandemic and different issues for people. But whenever we see uh, something, uh, you know, we an ability to look at the positive. Then the the good uh, bonhomie, the cheer mm. bubbles up. That's why the philosophy is uh, cheerful despair. Yes, 
Absolutely. Well, and I love that you say that a happy wife is a happy life to kind of paraphrase that piece and how you're feeling. um, Jess, we're going to go ahead and go to you to kick this off with some questions because we would love to hear about Jyothia Manoj's journey. So thank you. Hey, uh, we're also super grateful. Uh, We're literally the the first guests on your podcast. May Ganesh bless all of us and your forthcoming guests to make this a huge success <laughs> and create massive ripples to the point of tsunami. Jai Ganesh. Oh, Jai Ganesh. I love that. By the way, we've got Ganesh and Lakshmi and Hanuman in our company here because oh, I think I see that. I see that. very much blessed, a blessed, blessed journey. Okay. Wonderful. Well, yeah, we're so excited to have you both. And you know, you both touched a little bit on how you move through what's currently happening, um, you know, what's going on and the different perspectives and, and all of that. And so I'd love to to kind of, you know, kind of hop in a time, time warp and, and head back uh, to both of your childhoods and, and, and hear a little bit from each of you about what you were drawn to um, and, and what maybe shaped early perspectives and interests early on that built a foundation for kind of how you've moved into working through things now. Okay. <laughs> Big question. <laughs> What's the beginning? Yes. And go. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in a very uh, traditional Hindu family, and my parents are very uh, spiritual. And uh, so I watched them doing, uh, you know, prayers every morning in the puja room where all the deities were kept. In South India. In South India. So every morning they would do that one after the other. You know, they didn't do it together because my mom had to send us off to school. So she would be working in the kitchen. And and my father got to go there first and he had to go to work. And then my mother would come in and she would do her part. And uh, so I I, I was staying home. I remember as a child before going to school, you know, um, sitting with my mom and... um, she would um, recite some of the mantras like I did now. She would recite it, and I would, I would uh, learn it at a very young age. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So, my mother is my first teacher, actually, for everything, for music, uh, for all the, all the mythological stories. Oh my God, the number of stories she told me. <laughs> Where did you hear your first Ramayana? Usually your mom. Yeah, my mother used to read it to me, read it to us. So this is my sister and brother also like. See, my brother is nine years older to me. My sister is seven years older to me. And I'm I'm the youngest in the family. So my, when my mom read it to me, but they also would come and join us. <laughs> and... Uh, she likes to do different uh, sounds for different characters, so she would change her voice. <laughs> it was the most fun thing, you know. That's fun. Yeah. That's I wish she would do that for her grand, the great-grandchildren now. Yeah. She has three great-grandkids now. I, she but probably. she doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, it's her know. voice, you know, the yeah. voice. 
Yeah. She, so she's like, she's alive. Is she still in South India? Still, well, no, no. She lives in Chicago now. Chicago. Okay, with yeah. your sister. Oh. Yeah, my sister and my brother are both there. Both their families are there. Yes. So my sister's sister has two sons, and they have. Uh, they have three children between them, you know, so uh, her older son has one daughter and her younger son has two daughters. So these are the great grandchildren of my mother and father. Both of them are alive, actually. Well, before we hear from Manoj, I know the two of you also have a daughter, Janita. And so would you also do the kind of motherly task of reading her stories? I did not read her the Ramayana, but uh, I would tell her the story. I told her lots of stories and I also taught her a lot of mantras when she was a child Mm. and and she would recite every one of them before going to bed every night. She probably still remembers them. She probably doesn't chant them anymore. Yeah. So, but then uh, I'm sure she remembers them because she chanted them for so many years. (laughs) One of the huge influences Jyoti had was teaching Janita classical, South Indian classical music. Uh, Janita has been learning since the age of four, just like Jyoti has been singing. Yeah. And now she came out with the first uh, album, you know, the single. Uh, but it was, it's like, uh, you know, rhythm and blues, jazz. Oh, she's so she easily gets into Western music yeah. uh, with this strong background. So that's a massive influence. She even sang at, our daughter sang at Bhakti Fest, a song on Krishna. Wow. That's great. Yeah, so I would say, you know, coming from the family. Uh, yeah, it's the the fourth, music. She's the fourth generation of musicians. Mm-hmm. My mother's mother was also a singer. Ah, oh, gorgeous. Yeah. But and the so, kind of music is very spiritual. It's very Yeah, it's not spiritual. <laughs> well, I think one of my favorite times is seeing Manoj, you and Jyoti, um, and, and Janita really singing together, you and Janita. I mean, it's just a beautiful family tribute when you do that because you can just feel the love. It's precious. How about you, Manoj, with your background? Well, it's a total opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and we are very different personalities. It's uh, fascinating. Uh, uh, and we've been married, uh, what, 30, 34 years. 34 years. Yeah. Wow. I've been in America 36 years. So, yeah, I grew up in a big city, Mumbai. Uh, my parents were mildly spiritual. They would visit an occasional temple. I would just go along. So I was more, a, you know, like a good cultural Jewish folks I meet. Uh, I was a cultural Hindu more. Mm. I was minimally exposed to the deities. And even when I was exposed, I was really not interested. Huh. I I didn't feel any connection, uh, and uh, I was uh, you know more or less I would classify growing up was agnostic. Uh, so the and then I became a good engineer. I went to a top school in engineering in uh, India, IIT. It's like MIT, and then I came here for grad school. Still was uh, you know agnostic, uh, but life has a way of uh, throwing you. Uh, you know, sucker punches, you know, despite your well-laid plans to all of us, right? Yes. So I was in the corporate world. I was not happy, you know, after my PhD in chemical engineering from Cornell. um, And I kept changing jobs. I even changed my name to Mike, you Mm -hmm. know. That's my legal name when I became a citizen. 
just to see if I could fit in. And I could never fit in because I have a brown nose already. Yeah? I couldn't suck <laughs> up all the time. And uh, I tried different entrepreneurial activities. They all failed spectacularly. So there's a, in psychology, there's something called learned helplessness, right? You keep getting whacked. Mm-hmm. And then you lose that sense of agency that you're in charge. And I needed that because I wasn't, uh, it was the absence of spirituality. It was the underlying reason for my, you know, not feeling okay. But I didn't know that. And then, uh, you know, in the Joseph Campbell uh, hero's journey, one of the essential uh, things that happen is uh, meeting the goddess. Mm. So uh, it's not only meeting the goddess, uh, following the goddess. So I, I met Jyoti 34 years ago, but I... I started to follow her literally 20 years ago when she started this Murthy business, the statues behind you, Christina, the yeah. Shiva, Ganesh, Hanuman, Lakshmi. So I, you know, even though I had like three separate companies earlier, high tech, one was a CEO and they all failed. I followed her and uh, this was an occasion of uh, uh, consistency over intensity. Before mm-hmm. I was very intense and I would crash and burn. This is the only area in my life professionally where I was consistent for like almost uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So here we are. You know, Incredible. So, yeah, I, I turned spiritual uh, through, the, through the business, I would say that. That's great. So you've got your PhD in chemical engineering from Cornell, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I had a fun. I'm more of you know. I tend to experience things, and it was great life as, as a grad student. Even Jyoti and I went to Spain. Uh, you know, when I did research in the University of Seville, so it was uh, the the experience was fantastic, very international. Uh, so when you find that, so you follow Jyoti in terms of you've met this goddess. You were like, I. Boy, oh boy, just to be in her light. What an honor. Um, tell us a little bit more about the spike in your relationship, your partnership. Like, what did that look like? And how did you know that your path to start really moving into um, storytelling and Vedic philosophy was something that the two of you were carved out to do in this world? Well, I'll give you my perspective, and I'm sure Jyoti has her perspective. Um, so first of all, uh, this is probably not a shocker, but our relationship was an arranged marriage. It was more an arranged date. So we met in Pittsburgh. She was in Chicago. I was in Ithaca, New York. We met there. And there's something in the eyes I saw, you know, because we literally went out to eat like that evening and something in the eyes that I said, okay, this is it. You know, I'm more that kind of a person. I've always been that intuitive kind of go for it, you know, you come to a fork in the road, take it, and then you do whatever it takes to make it work, right? So there's no good or right, good or bad decision. It's what you do after that. Yeah. And uh, the, the the spike was, uh, you know, in my case, uh, it was really uh, the, the business of uh, the statues and meeting my customers and seeing Jyoti's uh, practices, uh, deeply spiritual, that moved me slowly. So in the beginning, it was very intellectual. 
you know, archetypes. I used to teach at Deepak Chopra's retreats. Uh, the archetypical energies, the symbols, uh, they're compelling. The hero's journey. Yeah. But uh, in my case, there was no uh, bhakti. There was no devotion. It was more... Uh, academic, uh, intellectual, you know, you see them, you know. Uh, this thing is fascinating, the philosophy, the symbology. Uh, but again, I come back to the goddess, you know, Durga. This is Durga's time, Navratri. And Durga came into my life in several ways. Uh, I was in Cincinnati at a yoga teacher training and uh, eight years ago, and there was a fire in the hotel. But 10 minutes before the fire, she came and woke me up. And I evacuated the hotel before it happened. So she comes and protects you. The same Durga as Parvati came into my life 15 years ago when uh, I was drawn into this little village in South India in my travels and got uh, my scroll. You know, the scroll is like a palm leaf where my whole life was revealed. Including the, the Nadi that scrolls, right? The Nadi scrolls. The Akashic yeah. records, yeah. That's right. Where it said, my, I will meet Jyoti, I will get married at this time. It talked about my mom's name, dad's name. It said, I will import art from India. I live overseas. It said, Ganesh is my archetype, you know, which is true. You know, I find connection with Ganesh. We have a belly. We share a belly. <laughs> uh, and then it said everything what uh, my life is going through. It was quite remarkable. So when you see a document in front of you, which tells you your whole history, uh, it is not an intellectual argument that can change you. It's an experience. Even now in this environment, uh, with all the tribalism, you can argue all you want. Nobody's going to change their mind. It's an experience. You know, When you lose your health insurance, lose your job, stuff like that, that can change you. So in my case, uh, that was the seminal experience. You talked about a spike, major spike. Then it talked about the future, how we will teach together, which we are. It gave me the exact day I'm going to die. So meeting death is a big deal, you know. So everything was revealed. And then uh, we started to teach together literally roughly about 15 years ago. And I would again say I followed Jyoti because she's the one who encouraged me. And uh, she's been teaching us. I would say she's the main uh, sort of uh, almost like a feminine guru of the, of the ashram we have created. Yeah, I would say not even almost, but most certainly. Jyoti, I'd love to hear your perspective on, um, and also just how you would, how would you think about the ripple effect that you actually have in this world on people through the teachings that you do? How would you describe that? Oh, that's a really difficult question because because um, when the teaching is done, uh, it is done without expecting anything in return. So I've never really made an effort to find out if it's working for people or how it is affecting. I've never done that. That's why it is a difficult question. But um, um, if there are certain indications, then you know there are certain indicators which uh, say that maybe people are benefiting from it. Uh, it is if I announce a you know a, a Zoom class, then a bunch of people show up and you know to, to give me their time and attention, that is saying something, right? 
So from that, I can probably get a clue that it is. Uh, and also the retreats, right? The five-day retreats. Yes. Yeah, that's another we indicator. Would we would get about 50 people, many from not, not only out of town, but outside the country. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know you as well, can you describe a little bit more about the work that you do do? in the um, the piece about Vedic philosophy teaching uh, that is near and dear to your heart? So my uh, main focus is on uh, studying the scriptures. So as I study it, when I get an opportunity, I, I share it. I share the teachings. But um, it works the best when I don't, uh, when I don't announce a certain topic. Because the moment I, I put a topic and I announce a topic, then uh, then my focus is on that particular topic, and then I have to now prepare, you know, for that particular topic and all of that. So it it kind of changes the way things happen, you know. Yeah. And uh, but then when I just speak, uh, then then whatever is meant to come out just comes out, you know. So uh, so last few times I've not announced a specific topic. I keep it general. And that just worked better. And uh, so basically uh, what needs to be said will, will be said, that's it. I don't take any credit for or or, or blame for anything that goes on when I'm on the Zoom call. You know? So that's the way I see it. Such a sweet soul of service and beautiful. And the philosophy, if I may, you know, do you want to, for people who are not familiar, uh, what is the philosophy? Uh, philosophy is a non-dual philosophy. It's a, uh, it can also call it Eastern philosophy. And uh, it is seen through the eyes of Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya uh, was, a, was a philosopher and he wrote commentaries for 10 of the Upanishads. Just the 10 out of, I don't know how many there, there were at that time. There may have been a few more. Today there are more than 108 Upanishads. There's, all, there's even an Upanishad called Allopanishad. In that, uh, uh, Lord Allah is the, is the main uh, you know, deity. <laughs> and that, so people add on, you know. It's not from the original scriptures, but people add on to it. Because the teachings are, are, you know, can come from any, any part, right, anywhere. So, and also, when they attach themselves to Upanishads, they'll get a better, better name, right? It's be, to be attached to it. So, if, if you look at the different encomiums or, or stotras, a lot of them would say by Shankaracharya. Mm. And there's no way the original Shankaracharya, in his short life of 35 years, could have written all of that. There's no way. It's not possible. It's not humanly possible. Because his, the work that he's done itself is quite a bit, you know, quite a lot. And then on top of that, to write all of these is just impossible. But they attach that name there so that they'll get the recognition. That's one reason. The other reason is um, there at any time, any given time, there are at least six Shankaracharyas in India. Like right now, there are Shankaracharyas. And, and most of them are great scholars. They know Sanskrit very well, and they've also studied the scriptures very well. They can easily come up with a new mantra. And of course, they're going to sign it as Shankaracharya. <laughs> you know, right? Because it's recognizable. Yeah. yeah. So then we don't know if it is the original Shankaracharya or not. But 
if uh, you're a uh, scholar of Sanskrit, like my teacher is, he can look at the mantras and he can look at the meanings and he can say if this is the original Shankaracharya's work or not. He can easily say. Because the uh, original Shankaracharya, uh, he, he would talk pure philosophy as as the scriptures intended it to be. So what does that mean? If you, if you think about it, if you go to school and enroll yourself in a, in a course, uh, the students who score the most are the ones who got what the teacher meant to say. Mm. Because they're all listening to the same words. They're all listening to the same words of the same teacher. But they all interpret it differently. But the ones who got what the teacher meant to communicate are the ones scoring A's in their classes, right? So there's a central theme in the scriptures. Similarly, there's a central theme in the scriptures. And whoever conveys that message clearly, you know, that's that's what Shankaracharya did. All he did was look at the Sruti and he said, this is a central theme. It is in and through all the Upanishads. And this is the same message. And he picked that up and he conveyed it beautifully. And so we understand it. We can understand. If we study Shankaracharya and Hashim's, we will have no doubts. Everything would everything would be crystal clear. Mm-hmm. There would be no doubts. But if somebody else were to just translate the words, uh, you look at that, there would be uh, seeming contradictions. You know, there would be contradictions everywhere. We'll never be able to resolve all the contradictions. It's impossible. So that's why uh, Shankaracharya's work is very special. There are very few people who can study it because you need uh, a scholarship in Sanskrit for studying it. And uh, lucky for us, we have a teacher who's a scholar and he's able to decipher it and teach it in English. <laughs> I mean, what more can we ask for? <laughs> that is a blessing. Yes. yes. When, you, when you find the, the depth of knowledge that you have and are continuing to study and learn um, the scriptures and just this life practice, and I just wanted to key in on something that Manoj had said. Um, there's something in the eyes. You mentioned that with Jyoti. And, and I think that what I'm hearing you also say, Jyoti, is there's something in the eyes, but there's also a knowing that happens in the heart when, when that you see the central theme, if you will, of the scriptures and how that plays out in life. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's playing out for you now? You have some challenges going on, as Manoj mentioned, with cancer. And um, what has that been like for you as a journey? And how have you been relying upon the scriptures to support you? Um, What happens is when you dedicate your life for the study of the scriptures and you study it deep enough and long enough, what happens is an internal transformation. There's an internal transformation. You completely change. You're not the same person anymore. Mm. Uh, you're not a person at all anymore, actually. It's not, the, it's not, I shouldn't even say same person. You're not a person anymore. That person is, is the ego, right? It's, it's centered on that ego. That ego starts to slowly vanish and it's gone. The ego goes away. And that, hap- and that happens. Uh, usually you don't notice it first. You're pe- the people around you start noticing it first. And then you notice it when uh, a crisis like this happens, like, you know, the cancer. So uh, that's when I noticed it, you know, uh, that's when I really, really noticed. I mean, there were other occasions where I could catch a glimpse of, oh, there's been some change in, in, the, in the interior. <laughs> but this one was pretty, pretty amazing because um, I went to the urgent care just for, just for a simple 
you know, some, I was, I was having some heartburn issues. I did not have any symptoms of the cancer. Mm. Although stage four, I had no symptoms whatsoever. I don't know if I had the symptoms. I didn't notice them or, you know, because I learned to deal with them or I did, did not have it at all. I, I didn't, I never felt the need to go to a doctor. Then finally, I started experiencing this, this, this um, heartburn, which was just kind of very painful. And yet I dealt with it for 10 days. Then I said, maybe I should see a doctor, you know. Mm. So I told Manoj and Manoj said, okay, I'll take you to the urgent care. They'll give you some medicine and send you. Right? That's what he was thinking. And he was already planning to get some lunch because I hadn't, he hadn't cooked anything. I hadn't cooked anything that morning. So because we were going to the urgent care. So he was uh, texting me about what would you like for lunch? Can I pick up something? You know, And, and so we were planning on that. But what happened is, they did some ransom tests and then they whisked me off after the hospital right away. Oh, and then, an ambulance. Yeah, they put me in an ambulance and they whisked, whisked me off. And Manoj didn't get to see me because of the, the situation with the corona going on. He couldn't see me other than through a FaceTime maybe. But uh, so, and then he was, he was devastated by that. He couldn't I see me for days. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And so when he, and then, uh, and then they're looking at all of those, they, they saw, they found a lot of tumors, a lot of tumors, a lot of organs were affected by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they were giving me all this news and they're saying this could be malignant. They hadn't done the biopsy yet, mm-hmm. but, but the, there are um, resident doctors, you know, they're, tra- they're being trained. They come in there and they, they, one of them gave me the clues. This could be, because he's, he's explaining all of this and there's no reaction whatsoever on this face. Yes. So he said this could be malignant. So he thought maybe if he used that word, I'll have some reaction, right? There's no reaction. So, <laughs> so you know, the, they were, uh, they couldn't believe it. And I was, I couldn't believe it myself because you know, they couldn't have said anything that would have disturbed this mind. Mm. You know, so uh, that's, that I would think is the biggest benefit uh, that has come through uh, being um, a student of Vedanta for these many years and studying intensely for these many years. I did not, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what I was looking for. But uh, uh, initially, my search was for meeting God. <laughs> I wanted to meet God and have a comrade. I didn't, I hadn't thought of what I would say when I meet God, mm. but I wanted to meet God really badly and I thought it was possible. It wasn't. It was possible to me because uh, in some of the songs that I sing, the composer would have described gods and goddesses as if he had been in their company. You know, so I would think, I would imagine, oh my God, how nice it would have been to be in their company. That's why he's, he was able to compose all these beautiful, you know, songs because one of them composed one thousand songs in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's not humanly possible if you think about it, to be able to, co- to compose that many songs. That too, he would just sit in front of his favorite deity and everything just poured out. And to try to learn one of those songs is very difficult for us. We take many weeks sometimes, you know? Yes, that's Days pretty, or weeks to study it's a song. It's got to be pre-Hulu, pre-Netflix. Because <laughs> everyone's a little tied up. Yeah, it's like, you know, get outside. Yeah. I remember, um, Jyothi, that was something that you mentioned uh, when we first connected, you know, that you'd listen to the music and you would have these experiences and listen to the words that they were saying. And, and that inspired you to then want to connect to God in those ways through, through music. So that's really beautiful. 
what are some of the ways, um, cause I can, I can feel the spark. I can feel what guides you and carries you, but, and I know it's probably difficult to put to words, but on the days that you wake up and, and you just kind of feel human, right. We all probably have those days where we're just like, ah, I don't really feel like doing it today. Um, you know, what is, what is that spark that keeps you going with these practices, with these, with this work of service? Um, can you put that into words for us or share with us a little bit about that? Um, the only way that I can answer it is if there is a doer, if you have, there's a doership in you, you know, that I am the doer, that kind of a feeling. When that is there is when you get tired of doing something. If there's no doership, there's no doer in you, then uh, there's no work that's being done. Mm. And the work that you're doing is not difficult. And therefore, you never get tired of it. You do it as, you know, as part of something that you know, is done every day, right? It's your duty, so you just do it. I so, love that. So yeah, even now, through, I mean, you know, she has some days of pain. Uh, she still studies uh, four and a half hours. It's like a college level. That includes half hour of meditation. Before the cancer, it was literally 10 hours a day. Mm. So it's like a fish swims in water and mm. doesn't realize what water is. That's mm. what self-knowledge to Jyoti is, the study of scriptures. And, and it's not just intellect, it's practicing the teachings. And you talked about eyes, uh, Christina. I love being next to Jyoti when she teaches satsangs, when she allows me hmm. on Zoom, because I look at her eyes, you know. Her eyes are almost like, a, it's not the regular eyes, or even the spark I saw when I first met her in Pittsburgh. These eyes are like, uh, you know, I see the same eyes on Swami TV or other Mahatmas. It's really an awakened uh, person. And then when it comes to the practical application, the pain, uh, she's able to uh, decouple the, the mind uh, from the pain. Mm. So the body feels it, but she doesn't. It's, uh, and, but I, I feel the pain. <laughs> and I feel uh, learned helplessness, right? I talked about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's some huge uh, benefits of the teachings, uh, you know, of non-dual uh, philosophy, the storytelling, uh, as we see it. Uh, yeah. And for people who want to know the cancer as uh, it's been what they call partial remission. So the chemo is working. Uh, it's really shrunk it down. Uh, an ability to deal with the chemo on a regular basis is also a big deal because it's yeah. literally poison being put in to remove yeah. the poison. Mm -hmm. So most of us have had experience with family members who've had cancer. It's not pretty. Yeah. So difficult. here's the benefits of the practice, as you put it, Christina. Well, and, and as Jyoti said, you know, with going in with stage four, that it had, you know, you hadn't realized that for such a long period of time that, you know, you yes, started that's, yeah. for at least two years, they said. Yeah. And when, do when the doctor saw the first uh, CT scan and he'd seen the tumors had reduced more than 50 percent, 
and uh, he called it miraculous. <laughs> You've never seen right. anything like that before. <laughs> of course. That's I so the, You know, the doctors uh, felt her energy and they're all like in the secular world and uh, they come out and hang around her. One even would come on his off days. So there's a, there's a peacefulness, you know, the doctors, nurses, they all felt that. Yeah, there's one nurse called Cheryl. What she does is she goes and finds out who her patients are. And if, uh, if I'm not paired with her, she would switch with the other person. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you've got some favorite wonderful angel caregivers, don't you? Oh. No, we, are, we are truly appreciate. Uh, we understand now. Yeah. The, uh, the devotion of the healthcare workers. That's that's spirituality mm-hmm. in action. That's, that's beautiful. Earth angels right there. <laughs> Earth angels. Humanists, you know, mm-hmm. many of them are beautiful humanists. So Manoj, before we kind of tie this up, I'm curious, you're such an amazing storyteller. And I'm wondering if, as we talk about real eyes and being able to see awakening behind the eyes and into the soul, um, you know, there's so much challenge and struggle if you look at it that way in our world today. Um, What would you say as advice, as something to help inspire all of us as we're on our journey? What comes to mind for you? I think for today's times, it's a very relevant issue, especially as yogis, spiritual practitioners, because it's very tribalistic environment. The thing is, uh, there's also a lot of spiritual bypassing going on. Mm-hmm. When you say, oh, everyone is one, everyone is one, that's, that's BS, okay? We are not, we are different. So America is not a, not a melting pot, it's more a salad bowl. We are all different. Some of us are broccoli. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what to do? What but to do? Is, uh, when you go deep down, what Carl Jung called individuation, right? So we have the persona, the mask we put onto the world. We have the shadow side. And these stories are to address all these, you know. So we all have a shadow we don't want to face sometimes. or We don't want other people to know. And then we have the ego, right? Jyoti talked about the ego, the sense of doership. And then you have these archetypes from different traditions. Uh, but I, I, we specialize in Hindu and Buddhist. Uh, and they cover up the self. The archetypes are like organs around the self. So the, the journey of individuation is going from many to the one. There's only one self. So that's really where the melting pot is. So the way I would try to use this in a practical situation in a, is a couple of ways. One is, uh, you know, uh, anyone we meet, if they and have an interaction, be it at the grocery store or the doctor's office, if you are able to shift them a little bit, something interesting you say, uh, maybe a, a little joke, because the humor puts people in the state of witnessing, right? It's yeah. called uh, metacognition, going beyond. Meta is beyond. So that little burst of humor, uh, you know, takes you away from the day-to-day issues. And uh, it's, I think there's a book called 10% Happiness by Dan Dad Melman, Dan Melman. So if they walk away uh, feeling a little better, you've done your job. Because the world in Sanskrit is called Jagat, 
but it's a world each of us engages uh, encounters so each of us encounters a different world so we don't need to be like massive activists uh, if you are all power to you we don't have to go to zimbabwe and build a bridge you know if you build bridges wherever you are in the world around you so that's one way you can practically use the uh, the teachings yeah. mm. the second way is uh, so this one way is to help other people second way is to help yourself uh, when uh, things always don't work out and you can't like meditate when somebody cuts you off shows you a finger you know <laughs> or see your boss or your colleague tells you unkind words or your spouse says something mean um but you can tell yourself a simple phrase uh, instead of meditating or unplugging if you can tell yourself uh, isn't this interesting mm-hmm. if you just use that phrase it uh, takes you back again metacognition into the role of a witness and uh, i can narrate an, a story a little uh, incident that happened to me i was teaching in vermont at a yoga studio in um, in the green mountains at in manchester a little town and next to the studio is a fancy colonial hotel and in the fall it's very expensive hotel equinox i remember 500 bucks a night so the, during the break you know i'm wearing my hippie clothes my t-shirt <laughs> i walk around and saying why is it so expensive like very colonial style and a extremely expensive car pulls up a well dressed guy in a suit and he looks at me and says jose carry my bags oh. Oh. and i did i carried his bags because i you know rather than getting triggered i told you know it's become instinct instinctive i said isn't this interesting yes so i carried his bags and he gave me 100 bucks tip <laughs> so here's an example where cultural misappropriation i was mistaken for a mexican dude Mm-hmm. uh help me as a good old fashioned capitalist yeah yeah so i'm saying we we don't need to get like all triggered and uh, you know there has to be more of a sense of humor yeah um, that kind of keeps it uh, more of an even keel mm. you're so wonderful at that you're so wonderful at reminding us of that and and what it sounds to me like is when you are in humor and the both of you together in humor and in love it doesn't feel like it's work it's just authentic and it's genuine so as as we look at um kind of on the horizon just kind of as we'll we'll um uh, move towards an end because i know that we've got some um, some time where you've got your um your, your teacher coming up soon in terms of some more teachings um i'm curious what we have to look forward to what are the two of you up to in terms of where people can find you what they can get involved with what's on the horizon so do do you want to go or you want me to go? so the you know we've been doing the workshops and retreats a lot right at our temple we have a temple in san diego you've been the christina i would love to see you jessica uh, besides ganesh your archetype is also saraswati i feel that christina because saraswati in today's times she's a goddess of walk speech v a k walk is like the word vocal comes from walk yeah. and when things flow out of you the speech the organizational of the thoughts i heard you organize our a meeting last time it just struck me it is your archetypes are ganesh and saraswati big time <laughs> so we i would uh, 
we would do these workshops and retreats at that temple. I would travel a lot uh, to yoga studios, teach teacher trainings, teach at festivals. But then uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, literally April and May, I was like a deer in the headlights, you know, just dealing with uh, Jyoti stuff. But then the Zoom calls started to happen. Uh, I've taught at online conferences. So you're welcome to attend a Zoom. Uh, Christina can perhaps put a link. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there. So both Jyoti and I, we teach by Zoom and also teacher trainings. But interestingly, and you know this, Christina, I just felt a need to connect in person. And it's not just me, everyone, you know, the heart, the heart connection. Like, you know, there's uh, something about meeting in person where I can watch the total nuances of the body language, free smells, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So we opened a workshop in person in a Lakshmi garden. Uh, because we moved our temple and warehouse to a Theosophy Lodge location. And last Saturday was the goddess workshop, awakening the goddess workshop. And I try to keep it at 10 people, but like an Indian bus, people keep coming, you know. (laughs) And I couldn't say no. So we ended up having like 22 people. And uh, people loved it. It was uh, like trees and foliage. Mm, Gorgeous. So we will do another one for Diwali, uh, which is really like Samhain, you know, the Celtic festival, new beginnings. Yes. And I think from January, we will do longer events. Um, so that's our goal. All and you're right. welcome to come. We, we hardly charge anything. It's Thank really, you. It's community. That's and we'll keep, we'll keep those links um, mm-hmm. relative to um, with this podcast link. We'll put the links to the website so people will be able to find you. Absolutely. So, I first of all want to say thank you so much to the two of you and for just being here. Uh, It's just been an honor and a pleasure to hear from the two of you more about your story and just the spark that you have. And there's so much love in my heart for you. And um, so thank you. Um, We like to end the podcast with what we're calling our five collective questions. So we're asking each of our guests these five questions, and it's just rapid. And so first thing that comes to your mind, and we'll start with Jyoti, and we'll just do one question at a time. We'll go to Jyoti and then Manoj, and then we'll just do each one. Does that work for you? Sounds like improv. (laughs) Improv. You got it, baby. That's it. (laughs) Okay, so Jyoti, first question. There's a quote from Cornell West, and it says, justice is what love looks like in public and what tenderness feels like in private. What does this quote say to you? (laughs) Okay, so justice, um, yeah, in the the public, uh, you know, whatever feels like it may not be the same. You know, it may not be the same. What we what feels like in the public and what feels like here in private does not that may not match. But um, ultimately, what feels right over here, I would say, is more superior. The heart. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. How about you, Manoj? If Cornell West says justice is what love looks like in public and what tenderness feels like in private, what does this quote say to you? Yeah, I love Brother Cornell West. I've heard him quite a few times. Uh, so to me, uh, you know, uh, the the justice is more humanistic, uh, the desire for equality, and the tenderness is the uh, 
the bhakti, the devotion within the heart. So I concur with Jyoti. It's uh, ultimately the heart that uh-huh. matters because the outer gets comes from the inner. Beautiful. Thank you. Jyoti, when you think about the practices that you do or say to yourself when challenges arise that remind you how to show up, what comes to mind? I think of my teacher and his teachings mainly. Oh, awesome. Yeah. How about you, Manoj? I, I, I derive the strength from his teachings, you know. <laughs> to me, I have to, uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, I'm big into VQ, visual intelligence. So I look at a murti of Ganesh. I have a few Ganeshes, as you can imagine. Yeah. And uh, it's not me looking at a murti. The murti looks at you. That's called kataksham. You get a little hit. So during tough times, I get a little hit. But even during not so tough times, you know, happy or neutral or tough times, I think we should have that steadfastness, try to get that equipoise by getting that hit. Ah, that's amazing. Thank you. Jyoti, who inspires you the most and why? I would have to say it's my teacher again, my spiritual teacher, Swami Tattudananji, because his teachings are very unique and uh, it makes the most sense. So whenever I'm, I find myself in a situation, I think of what, what Swamiji would do in such a situation. And that would be the right thing to do for me, you know. So oh. um, it's, it's mainly the teachings, you know, coming from the scriptures. Yeah. I rely upon that. That's amazing. Thank you. Manoj, how about you? Who inspires you most and why? Well, I get a hit when I hear Jyoti. Yeah, <laughs> I had a feeling you might say that. <laughs> in person or in Zoom, uh, there's an energy of transmission, and it's very clear, you know. Um, yes. Because she uh, lives the teachings. So in the yoga world, uh, there's so many people I meet, teachers I hang out with. I actually try to not hang out with too many for <laughs> dinners and stuff. Because I find many of them are what's called pretend anandas. <laughs> so they all pretend to have that yogic look, that uh, otherworldly look, but they live a different life. Mm. So how do you practice your teachings when nobody is watching? Is that yes. Powerful. So yes. I, I see Jyoti and that's it. She's it for me. Well, this is a good segue to question number four. Jyoti, if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone, past or present, who would it be? Ooh, um... Shankaracharya. Ooh. The master himself. Well, one of the main why the reason I'm struggling is because when, when I eat, it's a meditation for me. I do an eating meditation, so I don't speak. That is true. <laughs> so that's why I'm thinking, ooh, I want to speak. <laughs> I can't be eating. That might be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you can meditate with. So who do you want to meditate with? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I love that. Thank you. With, uh, so, yeah, I suppose if I want to have a conversation, it would be Brahman Manifest. If uh, Brahman, which is the self of all, hmm. if that Brahman can manifest somehow, it would be with that person. <laughs> wow, wow, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> you, Manoj, if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone past or present, who would it be? 
Well, I love uh, poly polymaths. You know, people who know about everything, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fascinating hearing from them. So Ben Benjamin Franklin is an example. Uh, many people in today's times past, but people who don't who are not locked in into a niche because the world has to view be viewed in whole. There's no physics, chemistry, spirituality. You know, everything is integrated. So, the polymaths uh, integrate. You know, interest me a lot. That's awesome. Great, thank you. Last and final question, Jyoti. What are you most grateful for today? Oh, for the teachings of Vedanta. <laughs> Without any doubt, clearly. I I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but I'm so glad I did. <laughs> Oh, For awesome. me, it's uh, the fact that Jyoti's fever doesn't exist. <laughs> to me, it's all day by day, you know. Yeah. Uh, and if the fever comes or whatever comes, we deal with it. We just say what to do. It's a famous Indian wobble and move on. Yeah. So we we persevere. You know, it's for all of us. We, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges, uh, but what uh, you and Jessica are doing. Christina is to promote a very positive message, but it's realistic. It's not yeah. just uh, bypassing. It's not spiritual bypassing, and it's also that ripple effect uh, really interests me because that can uh, mushroom into something that unifies us as all. Yes. Well, thank you, the two of you. You have been an amazing ripple effect for all of us. And this, um, I just really appreciate the two of you kicking off this podcast. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for having us today. And You're welcome. Thank you both. Thank you. Grateful. Thank you. We'll keep you posted on when it's published and produced. And so we'll give you all of that kind of information so that you'll have it. We can share it with everybody who loves you. Love it. Thank you. Okay. Jai Ganesh. Jai Ganesh. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom and stories of those who shared sink in. We welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, on our Facebook page, and via our virtual voicemail speak pipe. Links to both those can be found in the show notes below. Also, special treat, be sure to check out our online resource hub for listeners, that's right, for you, where you can gain access to resources to support you in making your own positive ripple effects, actualizing love. Until next time, be true, be real, be you.